Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. On the Mehdi Hassan show, as the 1-6 committee prepares for its second explosive public hearing, and with democracy itself at stake, are Democrats winning the messaging war? I'll ask plain-speaking Democratic Congressman Ruben Gallego. Plus, a bipartisan group of senators announced what could be the first successful gun control package in decades. But is it all talk and no real action? We'll discuss. And how to fight the right-wing propaganda machine? I'll be getting advice from former Obama comms guy, Comms guy, excuse me, and now author Dan Pfeiffer. Good evening, I'm Mehdi Hassan. Tomorrow morning, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on our Capitol will hold its second public hearing. And if it's anything at all like the first hearing, it's set to be explosive. Tomorrow, the panel will zero in on Trump's lies and his efforts to spread debunked voter fraud claims about the 2020 election. Witnesses include B.J. Pack, the former U.S. attorney from Georgia, who abruptly resigned after learning that Trump intended to fire him for not backing his election lies. Al Schmidt, the former Republican city commissioner of Philadelphia, who said there was no fraud in his city's vote count. And Bill Stepien, Trump's 2020 campaign manager. In Thursday's hearings, in never-before-seen video interviews, we learn the former president's inner circle was well aware that the big lie was just that. A lie. Attorney General Bill Barr revealed that he told his boss that allegations of election fraud were, quote, BS. Trump's own daughter, Ivanka, agreed with that assessment, telling the committee she respected Barr and, quote, accepted what he was saying, which prompted her dad to later attack even her. And the calls were even coming from inside the Trump election campaign. A former campaign advisor and a campaign lawyer both told the committee they saw no evidence of widespread voter fraud. But perhaps the most stunning revelation for me was this moment from Vice Chair Liz Cheney's opening statement. As you will see, Representative Perry contacted the White House in the weeks after January 6th to seek a presidential pardon. Multiple other Republican congressmen also sought presidential pardons for their roles in attempting to overturn the 2020 election. Let's just take a second and really let that sink in. Multiple sitting members of Congress asked the then president for a pardon during his last few weeks in office, which begs the question, why would you need a pardon if you were merely raising legitimate concerns about the election? Now, I'm no lawyer. But an Ohio state law professor who specializes in criminal law told Roll Call that an individual seeking a pardon before being charged with a crime usually means that they knew their actions were, quote, at least legally questionable, if not fully illegal. We should note Republican Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, who voted to overturn the election even after the insurrection, called the notion that he had ever sought a pardon, quote, an absolute shameless and soulless lie. Well, Congressman, if you really want to set the record straight and clear your name, you could always testify under oath about your supposed innocence. Oh, wait, you were already given the chance to do that. 
Congressman Perry was one of five House Republicans subpoenaed by the committee last month. But instead of going on the record against those so-called lies, Perry ignored the subpoena and declined to participate in a deposition. You know, the obvious course of action when you allegedly have nothing to hide. But seriously, this pardon news is a big deal and might just might have the power to change public opinion, especially concerning the role that sitting Republican members of Congress played in Trump's effort to overturn the election. These are current lawmakers, after all. But the truth is that these kind of revelations only break through if Democrats take them and run with them. And that's where we come up against a major issue. It's no secret Democrats suck at messaging. Later this hour, I'll speak with Dan Pfeiffer, the former communications director for Barack Obama's White House, about his party struggles when it comes to messaging and PR. But I should be clear, there are a few elected congressional Democrats at least trying, trying to turn things around on the messaging front. Take Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Following Cheney's remarks, AOC took to Twitter to press her Republican colleagues, asking far-right GOP House members like, Paul Gosar, Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene. If they were some of the unnamed lawmakers referenced during the hearing, just she just wanted to know. Weird how none of them wanted to respond to her. Yes, Democrats, it sometimes really can be that easy. Every House Democrat should follow AOC's lead and publicly ask one simple question of their GOP counterparts. Did you ask for a pardon? Did you? But this isn't just about January the 6th. Democrats need to toughen up on their messaging across the board. Just over a month ago, the Dems were handed the perfect talking point for the midterms when a leaked decision from the Supreme Court revealed the very ultra-conservative court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. And sure, there was real anger amongst Democrats in those first few weeks. But as usual, the party, and I'll be honest, even the media, has moved on, as we often do. And again, After a string of horrifying mass shootings, we're seeing the exact same pattern when it comes to gun control. We just got word today that a group of bipartisan senators announced a framework deal on gun violence, on preventing gun violence. Ten Republicans have signed on to the framework, meaning a final bill, should it keep the support of those ten Republicans, would bypass the filibuster. That's a big should. But it also means the barely bipartisan bill lets the vast majority of the GOP in Congress get away with not taking any meaningful action on gun violence. So effectively, Democrats just handed over another possible midterm talking point to the Republicans. They can't run on gun violence because Republicans will say, well, we did that, you know, we did that bipartisan deal. So what is a concerned Democrat to do when their party doesn't seem to be stepping up to the plate in midterm year? On the night of the Uvalde mass shooting, after an 18-year-old gunman wielding an AR-15-style rifle killed 19 students and two teachers in elementary school, a rifle that won't be banned under this bipartisan deal, one Democratic congressman seemed to have had enough of bipartisan niceties and enforced congressional politeness. Arizona Congressman Ruben Gallego called out Texas Senator Ted Cruz on Twitter, questioning the Republican supposed pro-life stance, which seems to only apply to unborn children. Quote, you care about a fetus, but you will let our children get slaughtered. Gallego later added in words that I'm guessing may have resonated with plenty of grassroots Dems. Quote, just to be clear, F you, Ted Cruz, you effing baby killer. Strong stuff. So with less than five months to go till the midterms, is it finally time for the Democrats to drop their usual restraint and go after extremist Republicans aggressively across the board on one six on abortion rights, on gun violence? 
who better to ask than Congressman Gallego himself. He joins me now and serves as chairman of the Bold Pack, which is the political campaign arm of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Congressman, welcome back to the show. Let's start with the 1-6 hearings. When Congresswoman Cheney said multiple members of Congress asked for White House pardons, my ears pricked up. I assume you weren't one of them. Well, look, uh, I can't, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, there's some level of coordination that happened. Uh, I do think it's uh, a right approach for us to be questioning. Why are you even asking for this? I mean, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of elements of my family that are involved in, uh, you know, different levels of, of, of judicial proceedings uh, growing up in, on the south side of Chicago. So let me tell you, when you're asking for forgiveness, usually means you did a crime. Uh, and that's clearly what happened here. I do say, in addition to AOC doing her uh, very aggressive uh, uh, tweets, there was actually a very uh, good tweet uh, storm that was going with a lot of other members who were all declaring, no, it's not me, and then kind of handing it off to other people. That is what we actually should be doing the whole time. And lastly, I think it's also important for, for Democrats to remember, you're never, ever going to get faulted for protecting democracy. No one's ever going to be mad at you for saying you went too overboard in protecting democracies. You went too hard on these traitors. Yes. I think that's the one thing that I've seen a lot of Democrats really holding back on. And they really need to get over that. You know, we have an opportunity to really reclaim the idea of patriotism over this party, the, the current Republican Party that has basically uh, stood up and tried to push forward an insurrection. Well put. On the night of the insurrection, you shared your experience of that day at the Capitol with me on this show on Peacock. Let's have a listen. And eventually we had to evacuate uh, the floor of Congress, uh, the people's house, your house, uh, because these terrorists, these treasonous bastards uh, could not stand the fact that we had a free uh, and fair election. Uh, and cannot stand the fact that their candidate lost. So, Congressman, you and I have been talking about holding these people accountable literally since the night of January 6th. Nearly a year and a half later, are we any closer, not just with the committee hearings, but with the DOJ's investigation? Look, I think the committee hearings are doing a great job, but let's be honest, and I've been saying this before, the DOJ is extremely lacking. Some of the information that we're seeing right now coming out of January 6th uh, hearing so far, the DOJ could have access to many, many moons ago. Uh, we have a recording of Donald Trump trying to pressure Secretary of State saying, I just need you to find 11,406 votes or something yes. around that. Uh, I'm sorry, that's illegal. <laughs> like, wh uh, like, what more do you need? You have it on tape. You have it on record. You have the Secretary of State that's willing to testify. Where is our Department of Justice. I'm hopefully I'm wrong. And I'm going to get yelled at by a lot of people on Twitter that I'm slamming the attorney general. Like, I want to be proven wrong. But we're, we're not there yet. Uh, at the end of the day, I guarantee the, you know, unfortunately, that the real accountability is going to come from the, uh, the DA in Fulton County prior to the attorney general of the United States. And it's a very sad statement uh, that that's how it's going to end up going. Yeah, I'm with you. I hope to be proven wrong about the AG, but so far I haven't been. And if I or any of the viewers at home had made the phone call that Donald Trump made uh, in January 2021 to Brad Raffensperger, we would have seen the inside of a jail shell, I'm sure, by now. Uh, let's move on to the gun legislation framework announced today by a small bipartisan group of senators. What do you make of that deal, uh, which, you know, doesn't ban assault rifles, doesn't raise the age for purchasing AR-15s to 21, but does bring in new money for mental health, for school security, does have enhanced checks for under 21s. There's some good but very mild proposals. There's a lot lacking from it. How can
concerned are you that Democrats are depriving themselves of the ability to run against gun violence to say, give us a proper majority so we can pass proper legislation? Doesn't a weak bipartisan deal effectively give Republicans an out here? Well, look, I think we have, unfortunately, I think, and actually, fortunately, I take that back. Democrats, we are the responsible party, and we're not going to just walk away from doing something that could actually improve even incrementally the lives of Americans just for a partisan uh, attack point. So that's something the Republicans would do. Uh, I don't think we can do that at this point. I also think, unfortunately, I don't think gun issues are ever going to go away. Uh, I think there's going to be more mass shootings. There's certainly going to be more crime in their streets of our cities. Uh, and even now you've seen crime increase in the rural areas of this country. So this is going to continue uh, to grow. Uh, it does go back to how do we end up in this situation? Well, we ended up in a situation because we are stuck with this old uh, anachronistic rule that basically discourages compromise. If we didn't have the filibuster, we would actually see a very, very, very bold and compromising yes. uh, compromise uh, bill when it comes to gun safety regulations. Uh, and that's that's where we are right now. Uh, so kudos to Senator yes. Murphy for doing the best that he could. Uh, that's a very hard thing. I hope there are some good things to come out of this. This is not there's yes. no text language. Yet. But at the end of the day, uh, we're dealing with a situation because we've decided to constrain ourselves, not because of the actual dynamics of the politics, because gun reform right now is extremely popular in the country. And we could be being a lot more aggressive yeah. than we are right now. I guess my worry is that the only way to get action on this is public anger and doing a bipartisan deal that the majority of Republicans in Congress don't support allows them to say, well, we dealt with this issue. Let's move on to gas prices. Which no, is I, I get what, what you're saying. But at the end of the day, this... Sorry. I, 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 at the end of the day... I, I get what you're saying, too, that you can't walk away from a deal. No, I get that. We're out of time. I've got to throw one more quick question at you. Important one. 31 people affiliated with the white nationalist group Patriot Front were arrested in Idaho near an annual LGBTQ event. The suspects were booked on suspicion of conspiracy to riot. What is your reaction to stuff like that in 2022? Look, I think we have to be very careful. This is a very concentrated effort to basically intimidate people for being who they are, for being to try to intimidate Americans. The other thing is, let's not let the Republicans off the hook. They're using this anti-LGBT rhetoric, this anti, you know, being afraid of trans people, this like QAnon light opportunity to basically scare um, a lot of people to vote Republican, but also to incite this type of violence. You see Marco Rubio talking about, you know, how people are taking their kids to drag shows like, you know what, mind your own business. Parents can do what they want with their kids. You know, it's nothing like it's nothing like, you know, that we we hear these horrible stories. And yet now we're always seeing is these these this rhetoric coming out from the right where they're basically trying to create a environment where it's going to be difficult for our LGBT people to actually live uh, the lives that they deserve. Uh, so the rhetoric that's being brought on by the right is going to bring on these types of really violent actions. We should not let the Marco Rubens of the world off the hook for that. And we are way over on time. My producer's going to be mad at me, but I have to ask you this 20 seconds. Last quick question. What do you say to people who say a member of Congress shouldn't be calling a fellow member of Congress an effing baby killer? Well, look, you have a member of Congress that have been called as uh, pedophiles. You have members of Congress that have called us everything else. Also, 19 kids were killed in two teachers. 19 kids. Yeah. This is not the America that anyone deserves. And for us to have to control our rage and control as uh, control our rhetoric as if this is normal, it's not normal. 
And the problem right, what we find ourselves in situations because we try to normalize it and we don't actually deal with the problem because we end up caring more about the niceties and actually caring about kids' lives. So yeah, yeah maybe uh, I'm not your cup well, of tea, but I'm always going to tell you what's supposed to be, what, what's really happening. Hey, Congressman, you're on my show. You're my cup of tea. I appreciate your righteous anger. Ruben Gallego of Arizona, thank you for your time. Thank you. Tomorrow, join us over on MSNBC on Peacock for day two of the January 6th hearings. Coverage kicks off with me at 9 a.m. Eastern, continues with the Morning Joe team at 9.30, followed by the hearing in full. Stream the January 6th hearings tomorrow on MSNBC on Peacock. Next, more on the gun story. Shannon Watts, the founder of Moms Demand Action. She'll talk to me about the details of this gun legislation package announced today. How major a deal is it? Stay tuned. Your business was humming, but Now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work. Tasks are taking forever to complete. And getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. They say they have a deal. Today, 10 Democrat and 10... 10 Today, 10 Democratic and 10 Republican senators announced they've come to a bipartisan agreement on a narrow set of gun safety measures. This after thousands took to the streets nationwide on Saturday, demanding action. Their agreement... This Senate agreement would create incentives for states to implement red flag laws, enhance background checks on 18 to 21 year olds, increase funding for school safety, for mental health and for telehealth, and slap new penalties on straw purchasing of firearms. And yes, this marks a significant step towards breaking a 30 year impasse on federal gun reform. But to call this deal narrow might be an understatement. This is not a bill or legislation at this point, but just a set of principles. The devil will, as ever, be in the details. So far, it does not force states to create red flag laws. It just encourages them with funding. It also does not include an assault rifle ban or even raise the age to buy an assault-style weapon from 18 to 21. Madness, in my view. Take it from the lead GOP negotiator, Senator John Cornyn, who was quite open in saying, quote, this is not about creating new restrictions on law-abiding citizens. So is a not-so-good deal on gun violence better than no deal at all? Personally, I happen to think this narrow agreement gives the Republicans an easy get-out on gun violence, a way to pretend they have responded responsibly to a mass shooting, and then move on to other things, gas prices. But the founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, Shannon Watts, tweeted today that this bipartisan framework is a major step in finally getting federal action to address gun violence. Shannon Watts joins me now. Uh, Shannon, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. I get why you've welcomed this agreement as an activist. And let's be clear, there wouldn't be an agreement if it wasn't for the efforts of people like yourself. But I have to ask, I have to cut right to it. Would anything in this deal have prevented the mass shooting in Uvalde or Buffalo? You know, that's sort of a straw man argument. This is a historic 
agreement. I mean, we've been waiting for this for 26 years. That's the last time we had any kind of significant movement on gun safety legislation in Congress. And so for these senators to come together and finally break the logjam around gun safety legislation, it shows that this isn't just good policy. It's also good politics. And I am very hopeful that once they start with the language, that we will get to a place where this is historic and it will be life-saving. And, you know, you were talking at the top about what this framework would do. Uh, you left out a really important part also around domestic gun violence. Um, this would address what we call yeah. the dating partner loophole. And right now, 70 women are shot and killed every single month in this country by an intimate partner. And now as many women are killed by dating partners as they are by their spouses. I mean, this is a loophole yeah. we have been trying to close for nearly a decade. And that's hugely significant. Look, this isn't a political game. Yes. And the lives of children and, and people in our communities, they're not political pawns. We have to be... Uh, open to this this compromise. And, and then if there's an action, there will be consequences for that. So, Shannon, I, here's what I think. I think the two things are not mutually exclusive. I think you're right to say that closing these loopholes is a big deal. I think you're right to say it's historic, as I pointed out in the introduction. It is. It does end an impasse uh, that's lasted, as you pointed out, decades. At the same time, I don't think it's a straw man for people to ask, would this have prevented the shooting that has made us get to this point. Why are we having this discussion right now? Because of Uvalde. If our lawmakers can put forward a deal that doesn't actually address what happened, 19 kids killed, then I think it's legitimate to ask, how good is this deal? Well, first of all, it would have made it harder for an 18-year-old to a 21-year-old to access a gun. There will be this, this framework includes a provision where you would reach out to law enforcement and you would find out, you know, check databases, find out if there's a red flag with this kid, essentially, that's trying to buy a semi-automatic rifle. So could that have made a difference? For sure. But I want to remind you that mass shootings in this country are about 1% of the gun violence. The daily gun violence that kills over 110 Americans yes. and wounds, wounds hundreds more um, is, is tearing at the fabric of, of our communities. And the framework, as, as laid out so far, would be significant. Um, and, and I also want to say, this isn't where the work ends, right? We aren't just waiting around for this cathartic yeah. moment to happen in the Senate. We are working in city councils and school boards and state houses and even in corporate boardrooms to make real life-saving change. I mean, in the last week, we've passed legislation in New York that did raise the age to buy a long gun. Um, we have legislation that just passed the Rhode Island House that would do the same, and as well as other things. And we've passed gun safety provisions through city councils, five of them in Colorado, one in Walnut Creek, all in the last week. This is because we have a grassroots army that can finally go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the gun lobby in this country. And, and I want to be clear, when, when I started Moms Demand Action, about a quarter of all Democrats in Congress had an A rating from the NRA. Today, not one does. That's how political movements work. I, I understand that incremental change is frustrating, but it is what leads to revolutions. And we are well on our way. Yeah. I guess my worry about the incremental change is not that it's frustrating, but it allows Republicans to not do the major change. Either. That's my worry, that they will say, next time there's a shooting, next time there's a massacre, they'll say, we did it. We did that great deal. We should get a pat on the back. That's my concern. I hope to be proven wrong. And as I say, well, I, I, I would argue with you that what they might say is without your activism. Uh, 
But I would argue that they, that that maybe what this does is get Republicans to be on the right side of this issue, along with Democrats, to see that they that they can make this kind of vote, that they can pass this kind of legislation, and that Americans will be with them. In particular, uh, women and suburban moms in this country, right? The swing voters that they need to yeah. win more elections. A wonderful sentiment. I hope you're right. Uh, We're going to see if this even becomes a bill that passes. So far, 10 Republicans are on board, but uh, I don't tend to rely on Lindsey Graham's vote. Let's see what happens. I do hope you and your pressure campaign carry on. Shannon Watts, always appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Coming up, the 50-year plan to create a version of state-run TV for the GOP. But first, Gigi Stonewoods is here with the headlines. Hello, Gigi. Thanks, Maddie. Here are some of the stories we are watching at this hour. Vice President Kamala Harris spoke at the Capitol Pride event in Washington, D.C. Sunday evening. This comes a day after dozens of members of a white nationalist group were arrested in Idaho near a Pride event. Harris said no one should fear going to a Pride celebration because of a white supremacist. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky praised his country's troops as they fight to defend the city of Severodonetsk in the eastern Donbass region. Zelensky added Russian forces have suffered significant losses in the fight for control of that area. And former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin has advanced to the general election in Alaska's special U.S. House race. Palin is aiming to fill the seat left by longtime Representative Don Young. Alaska voters will use a ranked choice voting system to determine who secures the seat. More on the Mehdi Sancho after the break. Thanks for watching. This week marks the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in, which of course eventually ended Richard Nixon's crime-ridden presidency. It should have been a turning point for the Republican Party, corruption and criminality gone too far. But one man was determined not to let that happen. Roger Ailes. Yep, that Roger Ailes. He was once a media consultant for Richard Nixon, and after seeing what happened to his then boss, he wanted to make sure no other Republican president would ever suffer the same fate again. Ailes launched Fox News in 1996 with Rupert Murdoch. The goal was to create a TV network that served as an arm. This was the unspoken goal, served as an arm of the Republican Party, and it was all under the guise of news. Twenty years after creating Fox, the propaganda dream was fully realized with the election of Donald J. Trump. Fox served as basically state-run TV for the Trump administration, moving heaven and earth to shield him from his many scandals. And don't take it from me, listen to Fox's own Geraldo Rivera saying the same thing on air. Nixon never would have been forced to resign if you existed uh, in your, your current state back in 1972, 73, 74. You're the difference between uh, Donald J. Trump and Richard Nixon. Ailes resigned from Fox in disgrace in 2016 after facing multiple allegations of sexual harassment, and he passed away in 2017. But Roger Ailes' dream is alive and well at Fox, where nothing else matters right now aside from defending Trump, owning the libs, and spreading misinformation. It's why they wouldn't even live broadcast the first public hearing from the January 6th committee on Thursday night. In fact, they were so afraid of having their viewers see or hear the truth about what happened on 1-6 that Fox's Tucker Carlson did not take a single ad break between during his hour on air, between 8 and 9. 
You can't have viewers switching over to the hearings and accidentally hearing about 1-6. Oh, no. That's why we should just stop calling it Fox News, in my view. It's not a news network. It's just not. So how do Democrats deal with opponents who have their own propaganda channel? After the break, I'll ask Dan Pfeiffer, former senior advisor to President Obama, who's just written a new book about all of this. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Why do Democrats always seem so bad at political messaging? Our next guest has some ideas, and it's fair to say he has some standing here. Dan Pfeiffer served as communications director in the Obama White House and went on to co-host the wildly popular Pod Save America podcast. His new book is called Battling the Big Lie and breaks down the messaging failures that plague the Democratic Party. But Dan also thinks one of the chief culprits isn't just the party, it's the media. He writes, quote, the bulk of the media on the right is an adjunct of the party apparatus, the GOP party apparatus. During the Trump presidency, it was state adjacent propaganda, Pravda, but with plausible deniability. Much of the media on the left, he says, is focused on holding Democrats accountable and or moving the party's agenda in a more progressive direction. This is, of course, an admirable and necessary task, but it doesn't do much to help Democratic candidates and causes win the messaging battle against Republicans come election time. And Dan Pfeiffer joins me now. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Congratulations on the new book. Let's start with Fox, though. I was just talking about Fox and the, what they've been up to. Do Democrats, elected Democrats, understand the sheer power and influence of Fox, which is not a news organization, in my view, to propaganda arm for the GOP? And do Democrats, do you think, have any kind of plan to push back, a strategy to push back against Fox's ongoing propaganda? I think that people have an understanding of Fox itself defined most narrowly, which is the 4 million people who watch Tucker Carlson on any given night. We, it's taken a lot of years. We had a lot of these battles in the Obama White House to get people to understand both in the party and in the media that Fox is not a right of center journalistic institution. It is, as you put it, an adjunct of the Republican Party. It is a weapon to be deployed to elect Republicans to defeat Democrats. So... People sort of well, people I don't think understand why I wrote the book was that Fox is just the the most well known part of this massive sprawling disinformation propaganda network. It includes things like the Daily Wire, Dan Bongino, Prager University, over a thousand local news sites that masquerade as independent journalism, spreading right wing disinformation. And I do not believe that the vast majority of the party as yet understands how that uh, that operation yes. works, the power of it, and what we can do about it. So just to be clear, before I move on to, you know, what could be done about it, you're not arguing 
for a liberal or leftist version of Fox, are you? You don't want to see a progressive media that pushes propaganda and whitewashes Democratic no. Party failures. That's not what you're advocating for. No, of course not. I do not. We do not. We cannot and should not. It would not work for us try to do Democratic Fox. I want Democrats to build up a progressive megaphone who tells our stories on our time. I kind of joke about positive America sometimes. It says we're fair but not balanced. Right. We have a name. We want Democrats to win. We want to advance progressive <laughs> goals. We will try when we can call out Democrats when that needs to be done. But we are we are not going to lie to our viewers. We're not going to spread disinformation. We're not going to try to be divisive for the sake of division. Uh, one last quick question on Fox before we move on. Should Democrats, elected Democrats and the Biden White House even treat Fox as a legitimate news organization at this point when it's pushing conspiracies about one six great replacement theory on air. Many Democrats continue to appear on the network saying it's an important, an important audience. It's a big audience. But should they start refusing to be complicit in such blatant propaganda? I think it is important to call them out for what they are. And if Democrats want to go on it, it's not something I generally think is the best use of time. But they want to do it. you got to go in there not understanding that the game is rigged. And I don't, I don't think the White House should do anything that infringes upon their access to the White House. I don't think that's not even worth the battle because that's not really where it's happening. Yeah. But I, what I think was very we very cautious about is accidentally putting legitimacy on what is no worse, no better than the RNC press office, right? So do you have to call them out for what they are if you're going to go on. In your new book, Dan, you write, quote, our party leaders are all over 70 and none of them rose to the pinnacle of party leadership based on their communication chops. They are generationally disconnected from the party's base. But the problem isn't their age. It's that each has spent more than half their year serving in Congress where authentic human speaking goes to die, uh, which I chuckled as I read and nodded along to. You say it's not their age, Dan, which is fair enough, because there are people like Elizabeth Warren who are also, you know, yeah. on the older side, but are very strong communicators, I think it's fair to say. Having said that, a lot of people would say there is a correlation between the gerontocratic party leadership and the kind of weak, often out-of-touch messaging we hear from elected Democrats. I mean, I think that there are exceptions that sort of prove the role. Elizabeth Warren is one, Bernie Sanders is another. There are some younger Democrats who don't fully understand how you communicate in this hyperactive attention economy. One of the things I have learned over the years of working for a lot of candidates is where you're sort of become frozen in amber based on when you enter national politics, right? Barack Obama had a huge advantage over everyone he was running in 2008 because he had been a normal person who existed with the internet before he ever became in politics. <laughs> I think Pete Buttigieg, for an example, uh, had a real messaging advantage in this primary because he had been a normal person in the post-Facebook era of communications and kind of knew how to get attention. And that getting attention is what really matters in this disaggregated media. And so we the, the long legacies of our leaders, many of whom, all of whom I think are doing really good jobs at various parts of their jobs, they are not the, necessarily the best people to figure out how to communicate in yes. this era to fight back the, the digital warfare Republicans are using. I think Pete Buttigieg is a very eloquent communicator, especially when he goes on Fox, even though I'm not a fan of him going on Fox. Although I would push back against the idea that normal people in their 30s run for president. But that's a discussion for another day. For me, last yeah, question, Dan, the economy is a... <laughs> 
That's a giveaway. Uh, the last question, the economy is a perfect example of how democratic messaging is failing. As the Washington Post has noted, a majority of Republicans and a plurality of Democrats, too, believe the U.S. is right now in a recession, which technically, officially, we are not. In fact, unemployment is below 4%. The U.S. economy is creating new jobs at a rapid pace. I got dunked on all weekend, Dad, for daring to suggest that we're not in a recession. Um, how do you fix that messaging problem? Well, I think there's two elements to it, which you do have to meet people where they are. And people are feeling real economic pain from high gas prices, high grocery prices. Yes, two things fair. you can't come out of your budget. Uh, but I, what I think what Democrats have to do here, and I think we're starting to see more Democrats do it, is we have to start drawing sharp contrast with the Republican Party. A Republican Party who, if they get to office, wants to raise taxes on 100 million Americans. They want to cut taxes on corporations. They want to pay for those tax cuts with Social Security and Medicare. They don't want to give a single person a wage increase in this country. Many of them don't even believe the minimum wage is a good idea to begin with. So we have to define the differences between the two, because if this is just a referendum on how people feel about their economic situation when they vote, Democrats are not going to win. So we have to do everything we can, throw everything we have behind it to draw a choice between a party that pretends like they care about the working class, but exploit those working class voters to help the rich special interest donors. The book is called Battling the Big Lie. It's an important and timely read. Dan Pfeiffer, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Matty. Coming up, the Supreme Court has decided that protecting federal border agents is more important than your rights. And the Fourth Amendment, I'll explain after a short break. If you're worried about freedom in America, allow me to introduce you to one Robert Bull. He's the rather unassuming septuagenarian who in recent years has found himself at the center of a pitched legal battle over just how brutally state agents can act with impunity. You see, Mr. Bull owns and operates a quaint bed and breakfast, kind of cutely named the Smugglers Inn in Blaine, Washington, right on the Canadian border. In March 2014, Mr. Bull hosted a guest who had recently traveled to the United States from Turkey. The man, to be clear, was lawfully present in the country with a valid visa. However, that fact mattered little to federal border agent Eric Agent Eric Egbert, whose spidey scent seemed to be triggered by the mere sight of a foreign-looking stranger. Officer Egbert drove into Mr. Bull's bed and breakfast parking lot and began to allegedly harass the Turkish tourist. Mr. Bull, seeing this, called out to the Border Patrol agent, asked him to leave his private property. When Officer Egbert refused, Bull stepped between him and the Turkish guest, at which moment Officer Egbert allegedly attacked Bull, shoving him and then forcing him to the ground. Mr. Bull, perhaps not surprisingly, filed a lawsuit, arguing that his Fourth Amendment rights had been violated, namely his right to be free from the use of excessive force by law enforcement officers. This week, our conservative-dominated Supreme Court weighed in, and wouldn't you know it, in a six three decision penned by Clarence Thomas, our favorite robed reactionaries not only lunged at the opportunity to side with a violent border patrol agent, allegedly violent border patrol agent, over an elderly hospitality worker, but they undermined some 50 years of judicial precedent in the process. You see, before Wednesday's decision on Egbert v. Bull, it was well established that federal law enforcement officers who use unconstitutionally excessive force may be sued in federal court. It was all thanks to a 1971 case that turned precedent known as Bivens, a case turned precedent that the more authoritarian among us have been champing at the bit to eviscerate for decades. And this week, Justice Thomas and co all but succeeded, ruling that because officer Egbert attacked Mr. Bull so close to the Canadian border, 
The matter has, quote, national security implications, and therefore, if Bulls' suit were allowed to prevail, the court would be intruding into, quote, Congress's policymaking role. Simply put, Border Patrol officers now have a free pass to brazenly, brutally even, violate the Constitution without consequence. Oh, and by the way, if you're under the impression that because this Egbert case primarily concerns Border Patrol agents, this won't affect you, oh boy, you are sorely mistaken. If you live in New York, Chicago, Boston, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Seattle, anywhere in the entire state of Florida. Well, then I have news for you. You are entirely subject to the whims of federal Border Patrol agents. Their realm of oversight, their fiefdom, extends 100 miles from any external boundary of the United States. So as of this week, if government agents break into your house without a warrant and then allegedly beat you, you can't sue them. And in case you were wondering... Where is the Republican outrage over this horrific expansion of state power, of violent federal intrusion into your homes? Where are the barstool conservatives who screamed about communist mask mandates? Where are all the self-professed lovers of freedom who see vaccines as an existential threat to American liberty? Well, I'm asking the same question. Where are they? Thank you for watching. We'll be right back here next Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can now find this show on the new MSNBC Hub on Peacock. You can find the MSNBC Hub through Browse and stream my show anytime. New episodes of the Mehdi Hassan Show on Peacock will post every evening, Monday through Thursday. And tomorrow morning, a reminder, I'll be live from 9 a.m. on MSNBC on Peacock covering the second public hearing from the 1-6 committee. Join me then. But now it's time to hand it over to my friend Eamon Moyuddin. Eamon, question. Do we have midterm elections coming up? Yeah, of course, Mehdi, we do. Why do you ask? I knew it. I forgot for a moment. But then Fox was kind enough to remind me that congressional midterms are around the corner. Take a listen. Over 10,000 illegal immigrants set to storm our borders. We've got this huge caravan coming right at the southern border. Don't know when it's going to get here, but there's thousands in it. This as the largest ever caravan of illegals bears down on the border. A thousand strong migrant caravan heading through uh, Mexico toward the U.S. border. A caravan of at least 15,000 people has formed. It is headed here. It's getting bigger every day. What about the 10,000 person caravan of migrants approaching our southern border? Another massive migrant caravan, as a matter of fact, the largest to date, marching to the U.S. border as Biden's open borders agenda is now a full-blown threat to U.S. national security. Yes, if it's a midterm year, it has to be a migrant caravan year. By the way, Eamon, that caravan has already been disbanded by Mexican authorities. But don't let facts get in the way of a good Fox scare story. And Eamon, I was talking about Fox propaganda uh, earlier on the show. It's one of the reasons I refuse to call it Fox News. It's not news. And I have to ask you, in all your years of reporting from around the world, Eamon, in places like General Sisi's Egypt, how different is the way Fox behaves from the propaganda channels that you've seen in those authoritarian countries, those Middle East dictatorships? I mean, listen, you you raise a very interesting question. I, I have seen a lot of state-controlled media in my lifetime, Egypt, in the Middle East, in Turkey, elsewhere. I've always noticed that, you know, they have a few common characteristics. On one hand, they follow closely the script of those in power, the government, the ruling elite, uh, the ruling class. And two... They ignore the realities of the society that they are reporting on for fear of undermining that very ruling class. And if you ask me, 
Fox meets those metrics. And perhaps more accurately, instead of calling it, um, you know, state controlled media, it's, it's better to call it a party propaganda broadcaster, because all you got to do is look at the intersection of Fox and the Republican Party, whether it's, you know, Sean Hannity campaigning at a Trump rally, literally yeah. Fox hosts uh, giving the White House advice on policy, uh, text messages like we saw the ones that were sent to Mark Meadows and Kaylee McEnany on January the 6th. This is not an independent news organization looking for the truth. It is a propaganda broadcaster doing the bidding of Republican elites. Well said, my friend. Well said. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work. Tasks are taking forever to complete. And getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.